guys. Take your Bibles and we'll be in 1 Samuel. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. Brother Lauren's testimony tonight of God's faithfulness is actually right up the alley of this lesson. And uh, if I had had the title the lesson, because you know Brother Tucker, us sound guys, we like our titles, you know, and they have to be more than one word, okay? The title would simply be Turning Opposition into Victory, and we're going to look at David here and what he does in this. Now, this, to understand the entire context, you have to backtrack several chapters to get the whole picture of what's going on, but uh, the book of 1 Samuel, as you know, um, Saul became king in chapter number 10. He disobeys God later in chapter 15. David arrives on the scene. He kills Goliath in chapter 16 and 17, respectively. And then after that, uh, Saul um, tries to kill David. David is, is running from Saul. Then Jonathan protects David, and then David receives 400 men, and then a couple of different times David spared, had the opportunity to take Saul's life, but spared him. And then we get into chapter 27, where David goes into the land of the Philistines. And you'll read in chapter 27, verse 7, that he was there for a year and four months. And I never, I never really caught a hold of that until... Um, studying this passage again this week, and and that's a long time to be in the enemy enemy uh, territory. You know, one week would be you know too long as is, but a year and four months he was there. And so then we find ourselves in chapter twenty nine. David and his men they've done some fighting, and then in verse number eleven of chapter twenty nine. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return into the land of the Philistines. Remember, they have been doing some fighting and moving around. And then what? this time the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And you can read the previous chapters to understand what's going on. And then in chapter 30 in verse 1, so David, he's, he's about to have a real big problem, as we know from the chapter, but really... This whole last few chapters in this book, David has been in a problem. And now it's really about to mount on him. And so the problem is starting right here in verse number 1. We'll read through the first three verses. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And it had taken the, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. So David's been running from Saul. He fled to a land that, honestly, he had no business being in. And now they return and his family is gone. The families of these men 
are gone. And you keep in mind, these men have they've submitted themselves to try to help understand the emotions of this because these men have submitted themselves to David's leadership. Okay? They have entrusted him with their lives, essentially, because, after all, David's not exactly the safest guy in the world to be with right now. He's got a king running him down. And so these men have gone all out in trusting him, and now their families are gone. So David's problem um, magnifies itself right here. They are obviously grieved, and with good reason. I mean, can you imagine men in the church here if we came home and our houses were gone and, and our families taken? And so... I can understand their anger and their grieving in this time. However, these men, they're now, they take it to the point where they're ready to kill him. In verse number four, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, and Hinoam, not good with the pronunciation, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David, we now see his response. This is something David, at the end of this verse, should have done a long time ago. But the hindsight's twenty twenty. We won't throw rocks. But David, now greatly distressed for the people, spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So, in a fleshly mindset, as far as we are concerned from our earthly standpoint, uh, everything was lost. Everything had been a failure from running from the king to now his family is gone. But David makes a point now to encourage himself in the Lord. So what does he do? Obviously, he's resting on God's promises. We'll talk more about this later. Um, and so what we see now from this problem, he now prepares his heart. We're about to see where David prays, but first he prepares himself. And we see that there in verse number 7 and the first part of verse 8. And David said to Abathar the priest and Himelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And they brought thither the ephod, and Abhithar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop, and shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. David came to this point, and he knew that his only route was not horizontally to a different land. He's already tried that, and now it's worse, but now he must go vertical to his God. So the ephod, um, generally speaking, part of the priest's clothing, it's mentioned several times throughout the Bible, but it was a very colorful piece of clothing on the front and on the back. Um, and when you wear this, when David wore this, it's, it, 
showed his reverence to God, his love and respect for God, and which is ultimately an act of humility. David humbles himself, acknowledges he has nowhere else to go, and now prepares himself, he humbles himself, and he presents himself to the Lord. The Bible says in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, that the Lord is a good stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Amen. And he doesn't want us to just go to him in the days of trouble, but when you are in the days of trouble, thank God we can go to him. Amen. And, and thank God that his mercies are, are new each morning. Yes. Uh, according to Lamentations chapter 3, where it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not, and they are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Because of this, with other promises, God knew He, David knew that he could put his trust in God, and he does that. He prepares his heart, and this encourages him. Amen. And when I think of encouraging himself here, what I see is a realignment, Brother Lauren, of his focus. We're like you on t- yesterday. You know, how many of us have come to that point where we just, God, I don't know what to do. And so you just pour your heart out to God and thank God he hears that and he has mercy and he provides the way. And then we move into David's prayer in verse number 8, where he straight up asked the Lord, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? You know, some people might go to God in this time and just do a bunch of complaining, a lot of whining, maybe even blaming God. But he didn't do any of that, Brother David. He didn't do any of that. He just straight up asked the Lord, what shall I do? Dad, uh, David placed his faith right back where it's supposed to be. We all know Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible, Daniel, to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's a few key words in that verse. And the first one, of course, is faith. You must have faith in God. And then the second key word is the word impossible. Because it didn't say, but without faith it's difficult to please God, or without faith it's kind of hard to please God, okay? Because then that would insinuate that there might in some other cases be a way to please Him if I don't have any faith in Him at all. But that is not the case. You must have faith. It's impossible without it. And then the third word is cometh. And that word cometh is represented in what David does here by putting on the ephod. By me coming to God, it's now the time that I humble myself. That there is nothing that I can do. God, I am completely, 100%, beyond shadow of a doubt, relying upon you in this situation. I come to God, and then the second one is more of a phrase, must believe that He is. And I believe that David prayed with expectations, the expectations that God would answer in due time. 
And then the last, second to last one, that he is a rewarder. Again, God will answer in due time, provide the way of them that diligently seek him. And that would speak, in my mind, of consistency. But continually seeking after God. And to seek to draw closer to him, it's a continual thing. And so, even though David's faith dropped or stumbled in this time, he picked it right back up and put it down the channel that it needed to be and absolutely believed God would answer his prayer. Amen. He expected to be heard. Yes. And if we do these same things, we should be able to expect it too. I think Brother Roger always says, if you pray for rain, put the umbrella in the car. Yeah. You know, Very simple illustration, but at the same time, the truth is there. Pray with expectations, but we must come before God with a clean heart and get some things right with Him and then make our request known unto Him. So, David, obviously, he has the problem. He prepares himself. He prays. And then God provides the instruction. He provides David's path. And we now start in verse number 9 and we'll... Uh, read a couple of verses here. Verse 9, So David went, he and his 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. I'm sorry, I skipped part of verse number 8. So pursue, for thou shalt surely... Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Let's start back up in verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued David uh, pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Now, those 200 men are important to remember later on. So David goes forward now with 400 men. Um, and I don't mean to... I don't, I don't like reading in between the lines, of course, with Scripture, and I certainly have no desire to add to it, but, you know, I find it interesting that David prays, he gets the instruction, and then David pursued. There's no written conversation between him and his men that, well, this is what the Lord said we're going to do. There's no conversation. There may have been, but there's nothing written, and so... Perhaps they reestablished himself when they saw him humbling himself and praying. And how we live our lives in such times can have a huge impact on others and how you respond, especially people in leadership, which, by the way, is every man of the house. To some degree, we are leaders. And in the house, we are definitely in leadership. And leadership is meant to make the boat sail, but they can also be the ones to make the boat sink. And so it is, it is vitally important that we understand that people watch how we respond in these given times. Am I going to respond poorly or am I going to respond by faith? Yes. David prayed, God answered, showed him his path to take. And then we're going to see now where... Because God gave him the path and David's pursuing it, Brother David, now he supplies his needs. We see God's providential hand here, starting with verse number 11. 
and we're going to read through several verses here. So, and they found in verse number 11, and they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins and when he had eaten his spirit came again to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights and David said to him to whom belongest thou and whence art thou and he said I am a young man of Egypt servant to an Amalekite and my master left me because three days ago I fell sick we made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. I wonder what the chances are right there that as soon as somebody else heard that, they just wanted to lunge forward and kill the guy. So I wonder what that scene looked like. And But David said to him, verse 15, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, uh, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. So, it's essentially a surprise attack. And it says that, now we know David went down here with four hundred men, and it says that four hundred men fled for their lives on camels. So, clearly, they were well outnumbered. Okay? But because God was on their side and David was in the will of God now, these enemies were actually the ones outnumbered. And David recovered, verse 18, all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herbs which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. Was it by coincidence that they found this Egyptian? I say no, it was not. I believe God might have called a little bug going to his stomach and him get left behind there in the dust so David could find this man. And it's amazing how God will providentially work around and to supply you with exactly what you need at the right time. If God, whatever God's will is for our lives, He won't let us go into it empty-handed. He is willing to supply the needs, and because of that, the victory was obtained. And now we see David's praise. In verse number 21, the first thing David had to do, he had to correct his men. Verse 21, And David came to the two hundred men, which were so faint that they could not follow David. Remember, they got left behind, because there were six hundred total, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor, and they went forth to meet David. 
and to meet the people that were with him, their, their own families, their, their people. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered, this is an interesting phrase, then answered all the wicked men and the men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. The key word here is that he said, they said that we recovered. And David comes right back in verse 23 and says, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and hath delivered the company that came against us into our land. He corrects his men. Remember, he's a man of leadership, and he recognizes God. He makes it clear that we did not recover this but that the Lord hath given it to us and preserved our families and delivered us against this company who came against our people. So, what's the application that we make from the entire story that we've just read about? Well, remember we said in the beginning that you really have to back up a few chapters, several chapters, to start understanding how this all evolved. And let's do that. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's go let's go 12 chapters back. Chapter 18 and verse number 7. Remember this is uh, not too long after David had killed Goliath. It says in chapter 18 verse 7 and the women answered one another as they played and, and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? You know, Brother Roger preached a little bit about this Sunday morning when he said, can you... Uh, rejoice over someone else's success. And I think about that when I think of this passage, whereas when Saul obviously wasn't as concerned about Goliath being dead as much as he was his own person being the number one fella in the country. Our thought life can get us in trouble and affect other people because at this point on, he grows bitterness in his mind. Saul lost the battle in his mind. He crossed the boundary, and now his mind is just simply eaten alive with this, and now he's after David. He's trying to kill this man, whom at one time he loved and respected. And bitterness is a very ugly thing and is extremely cruel. And to just simply sum it up, it is extremely ungodly. And to the extent that it drove Saul to madness. To the point where David asked four different times in the book, what have I done? You know, we may not necessarily be the reason for a problem. 
But that doesn't mean we're no longer responsible to how we respond to that problem. David lost faith and began this journey of fleeing from Saul. And going back to imaginations, what does the Bible say about imaginations? Well, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says that we're to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I believe that Saul and David both failed at this right at this point. Maybe more so Saul than David, but either way, in, because in times of imaginations, confusion comes. And when confusion comes, combined with a lack of faith, then fear comes. And fear is going to take you, Brother Ed said, it will take you where you would never want to normally be. To a state of being, a state of mind, where you would never normally want to be. David, if you had asked him 10 or 11 or 15 chapters back, do you want to be in the land of the Philistines? I guarantee you he would have said no. But now he's fled into the land of the Philistines. He went horizontal when he should have gone vertical. In times of these troubles and trials... We have to do what David did here in chapter 30 and humble ourselves because otherwise we find ourselves, in a sense, chaining the hands of God. Sounds like an interesting statement, you know. Can, 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 you even, can you chain God? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 13, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Brother Kevin preached a message here a few months back titled Unbelief. It's like the one, one-worded sermon I'll allow. And this unbelief, we stop God from working in our lives, and then what a tragedy that becomes. Go over with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're talking about when troubles and trials come and we find ourselves facing a problem like this, like what David faced, and God wanting us to put our faith in Him. Why, why does God want that? Well, if we look here in 1 Peter 5, in verse number 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He careth for you. It all starts with a humility of mind and heart and to do that, we indeed have to cast our care upon Him. We have to cast our trouble and our life upon Him because He cares for us. We have to understand that we can't fight these battles ourselves. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war 
after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then over in Ephesians, talks about, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness. The devil's favorite battlefield is our mind. And his favorite weapon is lies and deceit. David, in a worldly perspective, was at the end of his ropes. The problems come with families, finances, work, whatever it be, but God wants us to cast it upon him. And in David's account, in this chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, we see God's love, we see his mercy, we see his provision, we see his faithfulness. David could still have experienced all of that way back if he had gone to God then. But thank God that he could still place his faith back in God later and still experience that love and mercy and faithfulness. And then what a difference it can make in the lives of others around us if we acknowledge that it was the Lord. What if you sent out a company email tomorrow, Lauren, and said, y'all remember that problem on Tuesday? Well, let me tell you what happened. And then you share with them how you share. Maybe you've already done this. You share with them how you poured your heart before God, and then before the day is over, the problem is solved. You said the problem solved itself. Well, to them, that's what it appears. But you and I know something different. And they would probably do them good to hear that. What a difference that can make in somebody's life. Because maybe they've already seen your faith, Brother Lauren. I'm not trying to embarrass you with the whole thing. But maybe they've already seen that you're a Christian man. And maybe somebody's just right there at the edge. And maybe if they hear this testimony, maybe they'll come ask Brother Lauren a question. Anytime they come to him, it don't have to be about decks. Because we should be 24-7 Christians, right? Not seven to five workmen and then five to seven the next morning Christians. We should be Christians around the clock. So acknowledging that, not only to God in our private prayer life, but publicly because of the impact that it can have on others. So, David has been described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. And it encourages me. I I want to be like that, Brother David. I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. And it encourages me to see how a man like David could fall down and wipe up the seat of his pants and keep going. You know, I was watching uh, there at the RV where we're living at. Um, we got the little, you know, three steps that go into the RV. And Joshua was climbing up on him, and then he just completely stumbled and rolled off the steps from like the second step down. And I started to go over to get him, but he just got up and started climbing back up the stairs again. And I told Kenzie, I said, he looks like he's off to a great start in life at being successful because when he fails, he doesn't cry about it. He got up and tried again. And so the chance of getting back on track and doing right because of, um, because of God's mercy. And really, 
when I look at this whole thing, that's what we should be pulling out in application. That regardless of where we're at in life, God is there to supply us with what we need. And when we go down His will, when we follow His will, we go down the path He's laid before us, that He will indeed be good to His children. Heavenly Father, Lord, we sure thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the time tonight here. We ask, Father, for Your blessings upon the Scripture in our hearts that we've studied tonight. Father, I, I don't know where everybody is at, Father, spiritually, and, or those listening, Father, but, but Lord, You know. And Father, we thank You for Your love and Your mercy, Your faithfulness to us. We thank You for the ability to get back on track, Father. Pray that we would continue to think upon these things. Pray that You bless our pastor as he finishes the meeting and bring him home safely on Friday. We we'll thank You for it and we love You. We ask for all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.